Welcome to episode 378 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I talk about the inner workings of the entertainment industry with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond. And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out last week's episode where I list my and your top five horror movie moments. It was a great way to kick off the month of October or spooky season if you uh, celebrate that particular season. Uh, definitely go back and check out that episode. Uh, in previous weeks, I've got to interview Cal Dodd, the voice of Wolverine from the X-Men animated series, Kevin Eastman, the co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Really great run of episodes that we're having here on the podcast. We're having another one this week with a returning guest, comedian and actor Kevin Bartini. And it's interesting, when he reached out to me over Instagram asking if he could come on the show, you know, his name instantly rang a bell, and I knew he had been on the show before, but I couldn't quite remember how long it had been. And turns out, it's almost nine years. He was on the show in early 2015. You can go back to the archives and listen to our first interview. Uh, it's crazy to think that, you know, the podcast was less than a year old when that happened. So it's always fun to, you know, catch up with guests that I've had on from the, the early years or even some in some cases early months of the podcast. You know, maybe I'll get the chance to do that again in future episodes, but it was great to, you know, catch up with him about what's been going on with his career. Um, since that interview, he's branched off into acting. He appeared in the show The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which you can watch on Amazon Prime. He was also in the second season of And Just Like That, which is a spinoff of Sex and the City. So it was great to to pick his brain about, you know, other aspects of his comedy career and some of his acting as well. So hopefully you all enjoyed this conversation as much as I had of being a part of it. So here is my conversation with Kevin Bartini. Happy to welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience this week, comedian and actor Kevin Bartini. Kevin, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm great, Derek. Nice to uh, nice to chat with you again after all these years. I know we were just talking earlier. You were actually on the podcast less than a year after I started it. And here we are almost 10 years later. You reached out to me on Instagram to ask to be on the show. So happy to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be back. It's good. I uh, I, I wish I'd done this sooner. I um, <laughs> All good. So, so, well, sometimes I do this, like I'll, like, like I was saying, like, you know, I follow, if I'm, if I'm a guest on somebody's podcast, generally I, I'll follow them and, and, and then uh, you follow me back or whatever. So that, that's good. Um, but uh, I, I'm just, you know, I, I wish I, I was better at keeping in touch with people and doing that kind of stuff. Cause it, basically what happens is like, this It's like, I was like, yeah, I got not a lot coming up the next two weeks. I should get back and do some podcasts. And, you know, so you start reaching out to people and, and uh, the, you know, 90% of them from 10 years ago are gone. So congratulations on uh, just, just hanging in there. That's awesome. I don't know if it's skill or stubbornness on my part, but I'm, I'm still here. So whatever it is, whatever it takes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's been cool to, you know, kind of follow the evolution of of your career because when I had you on the show before, it was primarily just about your comedy work, but you have mm. gotten to do some on-screen roles as well, which has been really cool. But, you know, for those that maybe didn't hear um, the first interview or might just be getting introduced to you, 
Um, what was it that kind of led you down the path to pursue a career in stand-up comedy? Well, I mean, I just, that's just what I always wanted to do. I was a kid, um, grew up in the eighties during the, um, during the cable television's stand-up comedy boom. Um, it's really hard to describe to someone who didn't experience that just how much stand-up there was every night, a different channel had something, you know, and this is of course long before the internet was a thing. Uh, so you couldn't just go watch whatever you wanted and whatever. And, um, my, you know, my, my whole family really loved comedy. My dad's very funny. So it was, you know, seeing Jerry Seinfeld in the eighties pop up on some stand up, whatever the hell it is, is close to, for me, you know, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan for my dad's generation, you know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, I, I started stand up pretty much right out of high school. I mean, I, uh, I'm exaggerating a bit, but I wasn't 20 years old yet when I first started, um, just getting up there and, and banging it out. It was just a, you know, sense of calling or something. I, I loved comedy and I was always the funniest kid in my class. You know what I mean? So there was a, there, it wasn't just, oh, I'm a fan and I think I can do it. It's kind of akin to being a good athlete and giving it a shot. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I was fortunate and I'm very, and I've been very fortunate that I've had a very supportive family along the way who are just so happy anytime, you know, my, my, my parents are sweet. I, I've been trying to do more shows back home and in the area and they come to everyone. And I'm like, you know, you've seen 70% of this material this time. Then they said, it, my mom's like, yeah, but we're just watching our kid. It's like, we're going like sports when you're a kid. I was like, okay, that's, it's wonderful. And it's funny you mentioned, you know, growing up in the 80s and having all these, you know, stand up specials and whatnot from like Jerry Seinfeld, Eddie Murphy. I knew of them as actors primarily. And and then, you know, I've my parents grew up, you know, around that time frame. So mm -hmm. they introduced me to like, you know, the Eddie Murphy, uh, like raw special. Um, yeah. Then I found out like Robin Williams, Bob Saget, all these actors were stand-up comics and I'm like yeah. that's that's really cool and you mentioning that you know that you were not even 20 years old so you had no issue doing it like no anxieties or anything or did you no, just no no um uh, well before I answer that the, the one thing I wanted to say is the uh is back to comedy during the 80s it wasn't just you know, people putting out HBO specials and hour-long specials and things like that, because frankly, I didn't have HBO. What I'm talking about is during the 80s, um, all the, you know, all these cable channels that are so strong were just starting out, Comedy Central and A&E and everything. And stand-up comedy was a very uh, affordable thing to make, because it was, you know, it was literally most of them were filmed on location and there would be like Caroline's comedy hour or an evening at the improv or stand up, stand up or whatever. And some of them were literally just people, you know, it was a brick backdrop and a microphone. It was so, and then they ran them again and again, and they, they would then run clip shows up. So it was so ubiquitous for me. And I'm, this is driving me crazy. I'm trying to figure out what the hell it is that's shining on me. Something's reflecting off my desk. I can't figure what the fuck it is. I'm sorry. About that. Um, but it looks like I'm about to get sniped, doesn't it? What the hell? 
I have no idea. Anyway, um, but to answer your question about, I guess the theme maybe stage fright or something like that. Yeah, that's not really something that I've ever experienced because uh, I grew up in the Berkshires um, in in uh, Western Mass, and I was very very fortunate um, that that's a world renowned summer stock theater community and an artist's a lot of stuff. So I I got into um, you know, theater and, and performing on stage, um, basically in high school, um, and even before that, was always the idea that I'm going to be a comic one day, and I'm going to need to be comfortable on stage. So I better start doing something on stage. And uh, that, that ended up being a huge factor in my success. Because um, when you start out as a comic, I think one of the first things that, you know, that pops your head a little bit taller than all the other open micers for me was certainly not my material. It being any funnier than anybody else's. It was just, I was, I was 10 times more comfortable on stage than every. And so that was the first little thing. And that's, and that's really great. So I was really fortunate. So, um, so yeah, no, and, and, and throughout my career stage fright or anything like that uh, has never been a factor, whether it's performing for, eight people or five thousand irrelevant when you bring up an interesting point too with the with the theater background is stage presence is and i've never done stand-up comedy but i've watched several shows i've both in person and you know on television but stage presence really is something you have to have like yeah you can be funny and witty but you have to have that comfort on stage and i i can't think of a better way to learn than community theater because it's as I talk, you know, primarily with actors on the show, but those that have that background in theater, they say that it's invaluable because it's almost like working without a safety net. So if you can do community theater where it's like, yeah, if you mess up, you almost have to make it part of the act. So I can see how that could be really helpful. Absolutely. You know, the thing is like, I teach, I, I coach other comedians, you know, younger comedians, and I teach a, uh, a seminar, um, which I guess I'll get into towards the end when we plug. But during the seminar and during that, one, one of the things that I talk about um, when you're a young comedian is exactly that, is that stage presence. And, and, and the reason is, especially when you're a young comic and you're just starting out, you're, you're not getting to play good rooms, right? And the good rooms you get to play, you're playing them at four in the afternoon. You know what I mean? So you're doing open mics, then you're doing um, then you're doing like bar shows where they don't want to turn the TV off to have some comic, you know, that, and, and working your way up or you end up on these bringer shows and, and you just you're in front of these audiences who 99 percent of the time aren't there for comedy. They're not there to support you or anything else. Right. So and a lot of times those people who have come like to the bringer shows and stuff have been burned before. You know, they're supporting their friend, but they know what they're. So what I always say in that situation is, is the audience, when you're taking the stage, has a little bit of trepidation. Like, oh, is this going to be a really shitty two hours of awkward comedy? Is this going to be uh, something where I'm uncomfortable because everything's just super dirty and or racist or whatever? There's, there's a number of things that a comedy audience is in. So what I always I was saying that, that this is what stage presence is is for me every time I get on an airplane I am looking there's one thing I do okay when I step foot on the plane I turn to my left I look into the cockpit 
And the only thing I want to see, I don't want to see, I don't care if the pilot is a man or a woman. I don't care if it's tall, short, black, white, anything else, irrelevant. The only thing I want to see is some gray in the temples, right? That just tells me that this guy knows what he's doing. I'm confident that he's not a rookie and that my life is in his hands and now great, I can relax. And it's the same thing if you have stage presence as a beginning comic or whatever, and the moment you take the stage, they're judging you already by, by your body language, by the way you move, what you're wearing, how you look, everything, everything else. So, you know, display confidence. And if you don't have the confidence, fake it. You can still puff your chest out a little bit. I mean, it's like, you know, watch the Wild Kingdom. How does every prime, you puff, you make, you stand a little taller. You, you, you make sure you feel that your feet are planted. For anybody in New York, New York comics, no, it's it's the same feeling as if you're, uh, you know, your feet and your legs should feel like you're riding the subway and not able to hold on to anything. You know, it's that shortstop feeling that you're really grounded. Nothing's going to knock you one way or the other. That's that confidence. And that's what stage presence is. And after that, if, you're, if your material sucks, your material sucks, but at least you're still able to, to, to sell it and to do it with a smile on your face. Now, every time I get on a plane, I'm going to look to my in the cockpit to see if the pilot has look gray the gray on their temples. <laughs> that's really awesome. important. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I think that's great that you, you know, now that you've had this, you know, career for so many years, you're passing your knowledge along to like the next generation of comics because mm-hmm. that's that's what you know people in comedy or really any kind of profession should do because it's not going to continue if you don't pass the knowledge down yeah thank you yeah that was you know man that was definitely a product of uh of covid and lockdown and um gee, I'm, I'm 44 but i'm an old man in this industry you know like i i now have because, well, I did start at 19, you know, so I've been in a quarter century, but which is kind of took me a second to, you know what I mean? For for a bit, it was like, what, what do I have to say or what? Um, and, and I was asked by two separate people, unrelated incidents within 24 hours, if I would teach, run a writing class or a group, whatever. And so I started doing that. And um, as it turns out, because of all the theater, again, because of all the theater, um, and, and, uh, combined with all the standup, whatever, I, it turns out I'm very good at, you know, like the directing and breaking down and, ex- and, and I can really explain because my background in the theater was with a, um, a company called Shakespeare and company. And, uh, they would, they would have a fall festival every year, which is, is coming up and, um, they send professional directors and, you know, into the local schools and each each school does a Shakespeare performance, a different play. We've got all of their costumes and their swords and it's all the professional stuff uh, at the school. And then we go, now it's at their campus, but it used to be at a local college for a weekend and everybody doesn't. And the thing is with to, to get a high school kid to understand Shakespeare, to do it, we really had to break down every line every you know what does this mean and what is his motivation for saying it and all you know learning all that inside out so that kind of stuff which at the time i was a little punk is like i'm just gonna be a stand-up i don't need to really know this shit i just gotta learn like it's sunk in and now it comes out and i'm yeah i'm actually able to you know to 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 share 
some knowledge in a way that's, uh, believe it or not, succinct. I know I'm prattling on here, but you know, I can, turns out it was a thing I knew, I, I figured out I can do. And then, uh, you know, and then I guess, well, yeah, I've got 25 years and a ton of different credits. So why wouldn't somebody want to give it a shot? And that, you know, uh, when I, that was the other stumbling block is when I was starting out, it was kind of considered hack to be a comedy teacher. Like if you can't do teach basically, you know, but, uh, or, you know, um, but now everything has changed and I've taken classes from some great comics. And, and the, that being said, there's also some real shitty ones out there who are teaching. So you got to look at what you're getting and who you're, who you're getting advice from and, and all of that. Um, but I figured, well, you know, if, if somebody's willing to, to give it a shot, then I'll, then I'll do it. And it's been a pretty successful thing, but I agree. You do want to be able to um, pass things down art. That's art. And, and how you do art is passing things from one to the next. And, uh, you know, whether it's painting or comedy or playing a guitar, it's invaluable to have somebody who's already know, knows how to do it just to show you, you know, well, put your finger here and, and this is a chord, you know, it's that kind of stuff. And it's interesting you say that it became almost like a necessity because of COVID and now it's branched into, you know, yeah. this whole this whole nother aspect of, of your career. And I, and it, it just, it changed a lot of things, you know, from, you know, obviously with you, with the film industry, with a lot of things, but I, I think also a lot of bad came out of COVID, but some good came out of it too. Like, like you just mentioned. I think so. Um, I personally got through it with what sanity I could muster. Um, treating, treating it like um like i was going back to some sort of a larval state you know like i was just in a cocoon here and and the comic that that i used to be and all of that kind of stuff is kind of gone i got a chance to look at my career and really focus on well this is the stuff that works it's stuff that doesn't work not just material but paths i've gone down and uh and I, I think that that was great because it, it gave me a focus and, um, and some clarity of like, okay, well, I've done this thing and yeah, people were impressed like that, but I didn't really, you know, oh, this paid a lot of money, but I really, it, I really didn't like it. And I don't want to go back to that shit. So it was a really good chance to just, I don't know, for at least for the, for a few months there to just indulge, you know, I looked at it like, like yeah like oh my god i can just sit here and read all day or i got back into playing guitar and all those other things so i i artistically and and um mentally or whatever i was able to expand my mind and all that other shit. so i was fortunate that you know i didn't have anyone uh close to me die um or get really really sick i had it but it wasn't bad you know so yeah it's it's it is one of those strange things it's like yeah you know i know a lot of people died and everything but at you know, there was an element of it that was pretty positive. For right. Absolutely. Many. Yeah. And mentioning, you know, your 25 year career and you mentioned that back when you first started, it would have been almost taboo or, you know, a negative to be a comedy teacher. What are yeah. some of the, the biggest changes you've seen in the comedy business from when you started up until now? 
Um, well, comedy teaching and also uh, appearing on cruise ships both used to be hack and no longer are considered hack. And that's because the cruise ship industry made big changes and focused on wanting uh, quality over whatever they've been doing. Um, the biggest changes in the industry since I started, I mean, well, just the technology. When I, I mean, when I started, I was still, uh, I was at the point of recording myself on a cassette, you know, having a little cassette player, one of those little mini ones on the set next to me. Uh, you would go to a gig, you would have to, you know, print out MapQuest um, that kind of stuff, you know, websites and all of that were very rudimentary. Um, but, but, but I, but I think what's, what's changed now is, is YouTube has changed things and, um, uh, TikTok, that kind of stuff that there's more, and this is definitely somewhere where I fall behind, um, is, is where is there's more of a, you got to keep putting content out there and keep engaging with your fans. And, and, and I'm not that good um, with, with all of that. You know, I, I have like, I, I have ideas of, oh yeah, this would make a cute, this is a little bit of my act or something that I could go kind of act out on the street and do it in front of this place or whatever. And it would make a cute little TikTok and bing, bang, boom. And that'd be great. But it never goes past that, that stage. I never actually go do it. I don't, you know, the, the once in a while when I do the stuff, I just, I'm not of the, it's technical and all the editing stuff, you know, like, like you are, where, where, you know, you're the post-production side for me, I, that, all that kind of shit. I just want to film it or whatever and, and move on. And all that other stuff is, uh, is always what, what puts me behind, but you know, there are people out there who are using social media, creating you know, little things and it works with them and, and it's great for them. But at the same time, there's also, um, you know, uh, with, with all that technology comes the different YouTube stars and the, you know, that, that kind of hacky shit who, who have, um, you know, a, a couple hundred thousand uh, followers, you know, whatever. And so they go and they think they can go do stand up or some version of it. And the clubs don't give a shit because if they if they think that this kid this kid can bring in 150 people into their room and sell those drinks, then they're going to book them, you know. But that's nothing new. We've always had to deal with um, with that a little bit. But it gets worse and worse because every comedy club only has 52 weekends a year, right? That that they can book comics, and when they're putting up some, you know some youtube star uh, you know they're really taking a gamble with their reputation because when the people do come they're going to see a shitty show they're going to see that celebrity and they're going to see a shitty show and then they're probably going to judge stand up by that and certainly that club and not come back and that is a weekend one out of 52 where a real comic is sitting home that weekend who's spent 18 20 years working on his craft um and he's making no money so that's 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 the negative side of it. Um, yeah, and I think that's been the biggest change, really, is technology and, and the effect it's had on the industry. Yeah, and it, it can be tough. You know, you mentioned that 
you say you're not the greatest as far as like keeping up with social media and having to use like TikTok and things like that. I yeah. I totally feel your pain because as a podcaster, it's kind of the same thing is that you have to put content out there because if you don't, people are going to forget about you. So, you know, yeah. with, with this show, I took a year off and it's taken me a while to build it back to where it was. Yep. And it, yeah, and I, I can understand that frustration with, you know, having somebody that, you know, has a lot of followers and yeah, they can bring in a lot of money, but reputation yeah. and credibility is still just as important. Yeah. I feel that, you know, God rest his soul, but uh, we, we used to just say, you know, we our, our shorthand was screech. Remember Derek, Dustin, uh, mm -hmm. Dustin guy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, no relation. I'm guessing. No relation, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was the thing. It was like he personified that with those TV stars and stuff like that. There's a good amount of them who were just, you know, now I guess, you know, who were who were just getting the same thing, getting booked based on their name and that they can bring people in, but have absolutely no experience. So, you know, uh, I I did hear I do know his his manager and i do know that he was a nice guy and a good guy in real life so i feel bad for him and i feel bad that it you know people called him out on that but it's just part of that business it's always happened right it's always with i guess yeah yeah um i did want to ask you too because you've you've become pretty well known for being a um an audience warm-up comic and what what's interesting is that I've never really experienced that firsthand until um, my wife and I were in L.A. a few weeks ago and we went yeah. to uh, a live showing of America's Got Talent and they had someone that was there kind of, you know, like warming up the crowd and getting them hyped up and mm -hmm. everything. So I, I've now see firsthand the the importance of having someone like that. So how did you get into that and how's your experience been? Um, I got into it from, um, well, you know what, from, from when I started out doing stand up, um, one thing that I did that was so out of my back smart game changing was that I also went down to the Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, and took improv class. Um, so I took my four levels of learning how to do the Herald, which I won't get into. It's too heady. Uh, but really what I needed and to get out of, of that was what I learned probably in the first two or three weeks of, of level one. Um, because what I, what I learned were, were those, those, those improv comedy little techniques and things and, and concepts about working at the top of your intelligence and, and, and everything else. Uh, yes. And, and how to elevate and how to find the game and find the strange thing and, and all that. And so what happened was uh, I, I, I'll tell you really quick. I was, I was hosting a show, one of my first times hosting a weekend show at Stand Up New York. And uh, it was a Saturday night. And, and this is a club where they have like, they would have like probably five comics in 90 minutes. And then, you know, those comics are coming in, doing a spot and then running across town and off to the next one and this and that. And uh, so it's important that it keeps on time. So I went up and I did my first probably 10 minutes up front, which was just what stand up I had at that time, all 10 minutes. And uh, it was fine. I did fine. It was good. Brought up the first comic, 
And the second comic was stuck in traffic coming from another spot. And so we had nobody there. So I had to go, but that's the host's job. So when the first comic gets off stage, I had to go on not knowing if I'm going to be on there for two minutes or 20, you know what I mean? And I didn't have any more material, but I'd taken these couple of weeks already at UCB and I started doing some crowd work and I just started improving, and I had a better reaction than the first set. Like it, everything popped and was great. So taking those two, um, those two things, stand up and the improvisational element of it and finding then a way to really mix the two and hone the two in, it made me um, a better, you know, I became a, a like a house MC at New York Comedy Club for a while. And I, was, I hosted tons and tons and tons of shows because those are the and those are the same skills that you need for audience warm up. So is to be able to go out there to riff, to be, um, you know, and as well using the acting chops of being in character as somebody who's a little bit more high energy than myself and all these other things. So, uh, you know, how it came about was um, I had been uh, the house MC at, a, at New York Comedy Club for a while, and um, the Daily Show was looking for a warm-up for the, you know, the, a backup. They, they had their main guy, um, and their, their main guy had a reputation of being insecure and always recommending people to, as his substitutes who were no threat to him. So they would have somebody come in, and it was one time, and the guy didn't know what he's doing or whatever. So they actually put the executive producer on the job of going and finding somebody instead. And, uh, you know, word went out or whatever. There's a bunch of comics that worked at The Daily Show at the time in, you know, some of the writers and researchers did stand up and whatever. So anybody know anybody, throw a name in. And my name got thrown in by a couple of people. You know, they were like, you should check this guy out. So they uh, they gave me a call and, and brought me in. Got to do one uh, one episode as an audition, killed it, and the uh, rest is history. Then I stayed with the Daily Show for a uh, couple of years. Before long, I was I was bouncing back and forth between the Daily Show and the Colbert Report. And then, uh, you know what? I'll tell you what having uh, having a resume there with John and Stephen right on the top of it open some doors for audience warm-up. I ended up in, in eight years' time um, doing a total of, I think, 25 different TV shows. And, wow. Yeah. Um, and I'm always remembering, you know, some of them are just a one-day fill-in thing, and some of them are an entire run, and some are season, you know. But, uh, yeah, I was able to, to really capitalize on that for a good long time. Um, and that was like what I was saying with the pandemic. That was audience warm-up is one of those things that i'm i'm personally dialed back now it's like i'm like i kind of did that now i'm teaching people how to do it and and all that but um it's it was a great ride and i love being successful at it and it's nice to have it in my hip pocket and that if i you know every once in a while i'll get a call from some random show or something okay yeah i'll go pop down and fill in and you know i like that but uh I didn't, uh, frankly, put all this work and effort into moving to New York and create craft just to be somebody's warm-up act. You know what I mean? I want to be that. And and they don't see you, in my experience, uh, as on camera if you're marketing yourself as 
performer. And the right. same thing, comedy clubs don't see you as a headliner if you're marketing yourself as the warm-up. So you gotta, you know, now I'm the old, now I can be the old sage who teaches others how to do it. Um, but, but no, it was a great experience. I mean, it's, you, I got to meet so many really cool people and have so many cool, fun things. I'm so glad that I was able to do it, for sure. Well, like you said, having the names John Stewart and Stephen Colbert on your resume, not a bad thing at all. It really isn't. That's a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, mentioning on camera, uh, you have had the opportunity um, recently to be um, on camera for a couple of different shows. Um, mm -hmm. One being uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel on Amazon Prime, which is an excellent show. And oh, uh, nice. the Sex in the City spinoff and just like that. So we'll start with Miss Maisel. <laughs> Which is also a show. <laughs> yeah, it is. Also <laughs> uh, with Miss Maisel, how did you you get the role? Because you you play a a stand up comic named Billy Jones, which yeah. is a great like old timey comic name, if I do say yep. so. So how yeah. how did you get that role, and how was the experience being on the show? Uh, oh my god! Well, how I got the role was, I mean, that was just the old fashioned, you know how everybody gets the role. I, I slept with the right casting people. <laughs> um, my manager uh, had submitted me the previous year to audition for another comic role, um, Eugene. And I didn't get that one. Um, but they, you know, they asked, they, you know, they asked me to audition for this Billy Jones. Um, I was fortunate because that was, we filmed that during COVID. Um, I mean, we filmed that as soon as the industry opened back up. We were one of the first shows. So uh, I had, you know, I had to, I was fortunate that first of all, they, they it was local higher only, right? So that cut down a lot of the competition. Um, but it was just, you know, you do a self tape. Uh, they gave you the, you know, the sides and self-tape and like, you know, do them all the time or used to and build strike. Um, got a call back and I think, did I, I don't even think I had to do a second self-tape. I think I just got the, I got the role. Uh, and um, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I'll, my, it's my, it's my mother's favorite show. I love the show too, you know, um, but it was before I got on the show, it was her favorite. I mean, she loved it. So that was cool um rachel brosnahan was an absolute sweetheart really really nice person um i got to do you know a couple scenes with her i i i was fortunate that i got to um uh go to the rap party for the series which was out of this world so even though i was never in the same scenes as like kevin pollack and tony shalhoub i got to meet those guys you know what a it was uh yeah billy jones was the he was just the hack one of that one of the hack male hack comics that was getting work instead of her you know it's like it's the role i was born to play you know this <laughs> hack comic and the 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 great thing is like when i was sometimes i've had this with both of these shows where as soon as i saw the script i was like oh no this is i got this i got it like i know this the, putting my audition down is just a formality this is me. And I'm like, I know that the cosmos are going to come together and give me a scene where it was literally uh, 
Midge Maisel and Susie sitting there calling me a hack. He's a hack. What a fucking hack. He even look, he even walks, stands like a hack and cuts my leg. He's a he's a hack. He's a hack. He's a hack. And it's me. I was like, okay, I'm I got this, you know. Uh and and sure enough, I got it. Um, and then what was cool is to tell you about filming during the pandemic it was so interesting because uh we were not I I certainly was not um vaccinated yet. This was February of 2022 when I did my scene first. Um so there was no vax or there was whatever it was, but it was just opening back up. Um everybody, you know, obviously had masks. Um and I remember two things I'll always remember is is that uh first of all the scene was this club scene so everybody is dressed like it's 1959 there's this huge audience you know and then in you know as soon as they yell cut all the extras throw their masks back on and pull their cell phones out and it was just this really weird like if I was a time traveler it was weird to see people from the 50s wearing the masks looking at their iPad you know that was kind of trippy um and and because of the the wig that Rachel had to wear, um, she couldn't wear a mask. So they special made her an umbrella that came down like down to about probably maybe her her ribs that low with with a built in fan. So it had some air coming out of it or whatever. Uh, so that that was her protection. Um, and then. I also remember that uh, the Susie, um, I'm blanking on the actress's name, that played Susie. Uh, God damn it. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel terrible. Anyway, she had her, she uh, off to the, um, uh, off to the side had a pup tent. And that's where she hung out during, did not get COVID. She was just hanging out in a pup tent, which was pretty wild. Uh, Alex Borstein. God damn it. Alex Borstein. That's um, but no, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that was. And then to get called back to do, you know, multiple episodes. So cool. Um, um, you know, and I love the show and I love that it's, I love that it's a period piece that it's going to be, it's going to age perfectly. It's going to be something that, you know, yeah, it's just iconic. You don't get, you know, when you get to be on those kind of shows, I'm very pinch me lucky that I get to do that. I got to be on the, the I got to be on the daily show in the Colbert Report in their prime, you know, I've been very fortunate that, that with some of the things I've gotten to do and just places and I've gotten to walk really cool. When I really think with Miss Maisel, I think especially like 10, 15 years from now, it's going to be looked at as one of the best comedy shows of oh, yeah. like this, this era, because yeah. all the actors do great. And I, I think Rachel Brosnahan is going to be an excellent Lois Lane once the new Superman movie yeah. comes out. Yeah. So it's going to be like, you know what, in 10, 15 years, it's going to be in the same class, like, like Friends and Seinfeld and Cheers in that because of streaming and whatnot, it's always going to find a new audience. Mm -hmm. Right. It, and, and that I love, I love that. I, and I love that idea that like when you watch an old episode of, of, of Cheers or something and, uh, all of a sudden somebody pops on who then became a bigger star or something like that. You know, it's like, that's neat. I like that. And I'm like, okay, maybe that'll end up being me. Somebody will be like, Oh, hey, that was God. He was young, you know? 
Uh, well, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you, um, where can people sign up if they want to sign up for like your, your coaching or your writing classes? Um, where can yeah. people go? And you're also going to be doing a seminar later this month, correct? I am. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for reminding me about that. Um, so my webpage is kevinbartini.com, B-A-R, like the cocktail with a B. Um, and there's stuff there for that people can sign up for the seminar or get in touch with comedy um, coaching or writing or stuff like that. The basic idea, the um, Saturday, October 28th here in New York City, that's a, uh, at 1 p.m., I'll be at the West Side Comedy Club on the Upper West Side uh, teaching the seminar. And, and so the seminar is, uh, it's called the, the Art and Business of comedy club hosting and teenage and and t uh, tv audience warm-up and it it's like i was saying earlier it's it's during the pandemic once i realized that i was using really the exact same muscle and the same to, to that i was as as a tv uh, warm-up that i was using as a host all those times you know that kind of shit it, it didn't dawn on me until i thought about it um and then as soon as i got back to live comedy the first club the first night i was there um i went up first and the, the the host was this young comic i forget his name he spent a whole 10 minutes going from audience to audience member what's your name where are you from all right what's your name where are you from like like are we at a comedy club or the fucking border you know what i mean it was it was not funny there was nothing to it and all of a sudden i'm like well fuck somebody should tell this young kid that there is an actual way of hosting a comedy show like there's the there and, and i was fortunate that coming up in the 90s even the late 90s and the early aughts i was still getting to work for and learn from the people who ran the clubs back in the day and the comics to show you that this is the way so that's that's the idea of the seminars is is that i i put the two things together. And if you're a brand new comic or you're looking to break into the clubs more, hosting is a great way. And I teach you how to do it. And simultaneously, if you're a comic, and this is what I always love is like when, I, you know, it's great having new new jacks who are learning, but every, you know, every time there's almost, there's somebody that's damn close to a peer of mine that have been doing comedy for over 10 years or whatnot. And they, they're, well, they're looking to get into the TV aspect. So I kind of teach all those things. And, uh, and then I answer, you know, I, I, I the, the seminar itself is generally somewhere around the neighborhood of 90 minutes. And uh, I've been known to do another 90 minutes of answering any question anybody had. We've moved it upstairs to the bar. I will hold court, whatever. Um, and, and coaching and I do some private classes and, and whatever, uh, which is just people can reach out to me and I'm, I'm glad to work with them. Fantastic. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It was great to talk with you again. Yeah, you as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's do this again in another nine years. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll put it on my calendar. Thank you again to Kevin Bartini for that fantastic conversation. It was great getting to catch up with him after all these years. Be sure to check out his website, kevinbartini.com. You can find the link in the show notes. For next week's episode, I'm going to be chatting with actor and keynote speaker Matt Hill. He was the voice of Raphael in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, 
as well as the Next Mutation live-action series. And for those that listen to my other podcast, Nerd Cave Retro, you know we've talked about the animated series Captain N, the Game Master. Well, he was the voice of Kevin, the lead character from that series. So you know I'm going to be talking with him about that. He's also done some other fantastic roles as well. We're going to get into that on next week's episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast at linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, the YouTube channel, follow me on social media, everything is at linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And if you could, please leave a review. The more reviews the show gets, the more visible it is to the podcasting public. I know I say that at the end of every show, but it really does help for those that are searching for a specific podcast. In this case, filmmaking podcast, entertainment podcast, It really does help, and it only takes a moment of your time and doesn't cost anything, which is the best part of it, if I do say so myself. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you once again to Kevin Bartini, and we'll see you guys back here next Monday for another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. Podcast.